Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as photographer, environmental manager on hiatus, teacher, briefly. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Heath Carney. Hello. Surprise. Ah. It's like you're in the room with me. It is. It is. A rarity that I enjoy far (laughs) too uh, infrequently. Heath, in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? Um, Generally, hi, I'm Heath. No, Heath with H. (laughs) Because people... People go for Keith or I've even had Pete or Steve. Nice. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm always prepared with... You no, have no speech H. impediment. No, I don't. It's it's an unusual name, I guess. It's not that common. Um, um, it kind of went through a, a sure. name a name recognition phase with, mm. with Heath Ledger, but I guess he's kind of faded out a bit now from, from public consciousness. So it's, yeah, it's it's not quite as yeah. well known as, as you might think, but it's also not a very hard name to hear. Yeah, truth. In, in, in those social settings, are you happier to be a wallflower or are you life at the party? Um, definitely a wallflower. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I like spending time with people, yeah, uh, and I like being part of conversations. But you know, I'm happy to kind of stand back for a while and take it all in mm. before then joining in conversations or becoming part of the the party. Yes, um, you know, there's certainly been times where the most of the mid nineties, I guess, where, you know, I liked a drink or two and was, and was maybe, you know, a little bit louder than, than I tend to be these days. Um, but yeah, generally I'm, I'm the, you know, the person who sits back and takes it all in and joins in when I can. Um, that just made me think actually when I was at, um, at preschool, yes, I'd been at preschool for about two weeks, I think it was. And, um, the, the teachers got in touch with mum and said, I think we're a little bit concerned about Heath. Is there something wrong with his speech? He doesn't really say much. <gasps> and, um, so mum, you know, asked me that, that night, what's, yeah. what's wrong at, at preschool? They said, you don't really say much. And my response then as a four year old, well, when I've got something to say, I'll say it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is doing the talking. Yeah, that's I'm right. just getting to watch yeah, this stuff. That's all right. Yeah. Building up the ammunition for, for later. What are you passionate about? Um, I'm passionate about the environment, which mm. is kind of, you know, my career. Yes. Um, but not in a activist hippie kind of way you know i'm 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 passionate in as much as the environment has always played such a big part in my life Mm. yeah i grew up on the coast in newcastle Mm -hmm. so weekends on the beach riding my bike um mountain biking that kind of thing so so the environment has played such a big part in my life that you know it's and it has become a big part of my life in that it's become my career. Sure. Um, so, so certainly passionate about that and passionate about how we manage the environment yep. or how we manage our impact on the environment. So rather than being a, a passionate environmentalist, mm. a passionate environmental manager, yeah. which are, are two different things. An environmentalist is is an activist, somebody who has an interest in the environment. An environmental manager, an environmental scientist, is somebody who studies and works within the environment. When I hear environment, mm-hmm. I, I hear lots of ability words: sustainability, yep. responsibility. Yep. In the context of your professional mm-hmm. stuff around the environment, how practical are some of those? Um. I think what a lot of people fail to understand is that we can't live our lives without some kind of impact on the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's not possible to do that. 
regardless of how low your own personal footprint is, you know, you use electronics that yeah. have um, minerals in them that have to be mined. You know, they can be recycled and reused, but at some point during that process, there are th- things that have to be taken from the earth mm. um, to, to support your lifestyle. And that can be done sustainably, but it needs to be done to support our lifestyles. Yep. Um, so the extremes are not practical. Everybody goes off grid. Yeah, that's... 100% earth yeah, hours. Yeah, that's, you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It might happen at some point in the future, but it's not going to happen next week. <laughs> yes. And there has to be a transition to, for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Whether that's a mix of of energy technologies mm. um, to get us to that point um, is probably most likely, but it's not going to happen in the short term. Quickly, yeah, it's happening more quickly than it than it has, and it will it'll continue to accelerate as these things do. Um, but it's not an easy switch off straight away. Is climate change a real thing? Of course it is. Of course it is. It's there's no debate. There's no question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that um, people uh, who deny that or who who question that are not questioning it. Um, out of a, a from an educated background, they're questioning it because of ideology. Mm-hmm. So they're you know in a lot of cases, people who question climate change, where they've come from is they've come from it because they don't agree with one side of politics solution. Yeah, they think there's another solution. So rather than justify back up their solution they've gone one step further and said this is not a problem at all. Yes. Um, so it's not about the science isn't there and the science is still up for debate. That debate's been had and that debate is settled, but people still question it because they don't agree with the proposed solutions. Mm. Um, and whether it's they don't agree with the proposed solutions because they think there's a better solution or because of an ideological difference. Mm. Um, for the most part, I think that's where the, the scepticism or denialism comes from um, is I don't know the solution. So to discount your solution, I'm going to say it's not a problem at all. Yeah. It, it, for a while it was the it was the you know the kick toy of choice wasn't it for our politicians particularly and it still is oh yes it it's it's joined a grander throng true yeah yeah there's other things that are uh, yep. tier yep. 1 you know issues and i think it's still there but we still get the same partisan political you know yes it is no it's not depending on which side of the very fine centrist line you mm. fall on don't we yeah yeah we do we do um you know, and I think it comes back to to you know what I was saying about the 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 political ideology is really what what dictates a lot of that that flavor of the debate, yeah. Um, rather than the science. Science. <laughs> In a crisis or an argument, Heath, are you fight or flight? I think my my first reaction is quite often flight, mm. but. I very rarely do actually fly. Mm. Um, so, you know, if something goes wrong at work, um, my first reaction is, oh crap, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to resign or, mm-hmm. or, you know, what, you know, how do I run away from this? But when that first reaction passes, the, the, the actual outcome is that I dig in and, and fight and yep. make things right. Um, you know, and and admit if I've made a mistake mm-hmm. and come up with a solution. Um, so that's, you know, in a work context, the, the initial um, reaction is 
oh crap, I've got to get out of here kind mm-hmm, of thing. Yes. I can't deal with this. But that doesn't last very long. And like I said, I then get in and, and get it sorted. Um, but in terms of, you know, in arguments or fights, I don't really get into them. Like, I mm. I kind of don't think anything really matters that much that it's worth fighting about. <laughs> yes. um, it's, you know, on, on Twitter, for example, it's just... It's not that important, mm. you know. Nothing really matters to that's worth getting your back up about and fighting with a, a stranger on the internet about, or even someone you know on the internet yeah. about. Um, so I'm not really in those situations. I'm not fight or flight. I'm just yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it just that doesn't matter. It's yeah. no big deal. And and uh, look. Uh, there, it, you, there's a very good argument argument to be made that 99 point, as many as you want nines percent of the time, it just doesn't matter at all, does it? It's, yeah, it really doesn't. Um, you think that, I think something different. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, we can we can talk about our differences and, but we should, rather than fight about our differences, how about we talk about them and understand where each one is coming from? Yeah. You know, it's... People have different opinions or different ideologies or or different understandings of issues for a reason, and they're equally valid. the The opinion necessarily might not be equally valid because, yeah. in some things, yes, there is a right or a wrong, but the reason that particular people have come to their opinion, yes. they're totally valid, and it's important to understand that. Um, to one be able to change someone's opinion if mm-hmm. if that's important enough or two just to just to better understand why people are the way they are and why mm. they think what they think yes even trump supporters even trump supporters um god bless them <laughs> well somebody has to <laughs> yeah wow uh, you mentioned in your bio, Heath, that you're a teacher briefly. Yes. Was this how you started professional life? No, no. I started uh, with a with an environmental science degree and worked for several years as an environmental scientist in, mm. in Newcastle, where I grew up, uh, and then moved to Brisbane for a couple of years and worked for a, an environmental consulting company, mainly doing um, kind of water quality and stormwater management work. Yep. Um, for most of the work we did was for local housing developers um, who were building new estates and had particular water quality criteria that they had to meet. Mm-hmm. So we would develop the, the stormwater management solutions for them. Cool. And this is, so when you, this is me not understanding it, but having yep. basic ideas of, yep. of housing development stuff, how they then manage broader runoff issues around both the empty spaces they have and yes. then when it's full of houses. Yeah, that's right. Because yep. if it's on the yep. side of a hill, you're going to have different water issues to a flat place. Exactly. And, you know, depending on how much vegetation and green space there is compared to hard surfaces, yes. um, affects the type of runoff, both in quality and quantity of runoff. Mm. Um, so really it was, you know, designing treatment techniques for, for stormwater. So the water leaving their site met, particular conditions that had been cool. um, decreed by council. It didn't run through a nuclear plant before getting to the drain. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, a lot of the the uh, larger developments around, around Brisbane, mm. um, we did kind of ongoing water quality monitoring for them as well. So, oh, okay. Um, you know, Springfield Lakes, for example, or Forest Lake, you know, the, the lake in those titles is essentially a big sediment trap. Yeah, for the development process. So we would go and monitor the quality of the water in those lakes to make sure, you know, they were okay, that there wasn't going to be algal blooms, that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, so, so that was the work I did when I when I moved to Brisbane, and I was doing that for a couple of years, and wasn't really enjoying it mm-hmm. um, because it, it was a lot of same same kind of work. Um, it was almost to the point of, you know, open file, change names, dates, numbers, yeah. save, send kind of Very thing. processed stuff. It really was, yeah. So I really wasn't enjoying that and um, made a decision to, to go back to uni mm-hmm. and, and did a, an education degree, which was a 18-month kind of postgraduate um, bachelor of education degree. 
And the reason I did that was because in a previous job, I'd done a lot of environmental education kind of stuff. Yeah. And really enjoyed that. Yep. Um, so, yeah, went back to uni and did an education degree and worked for, I think it was about three and a half years as a teacher in you know, one school out near Ipswich and one school in, in Brisbane, both both private schools. So, mm. you know, they were, they were a pretty good experience in terms of, of teaching. And I wasn't not enjoying teaching, um, but got an opportunity to go back to environmental work. And that really made me think, am I going to still be enjoying teaching in 30 years' yeah. time? And if the answer to that was no, then regardless of whether this other opportunity actually came through, yes, then I shouldn't keep doing it. Because, you know, we've all seen those teachers who are just going through the motions oh, until yeah. retirement. They're and turning up at 10 to 9 and leaving Yeah, yeah. Through. And while I wasn't that, I didn't want to become that. Yep. Because it wouldn't be good for me personally, but it wouldn't be good for my students either. Yep. And, you know, that's, I want the best for people. Um, and me, 15 years into a career that I kind of decided 10 years ago wasn't really for me, mm. I'd that's not somewhere I wanted to be. You're the first teacher I've spoken to. I have so many questions. <laughs> uh, the first one isn't even necessarily about teaching. Your 18 months that you did to, to do your, I guess, Degree. post-grad. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that was full-time. So you yes. went technically back as a mature age student. Yes. Yep. Did you do everything that as an undergrad initially, you saw all of those post-grad, the, the mature age students do? No, I didn't because... Because no the, sitting up the front, no, no asking all the questions, having assignments ready the minute they were asked for. Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I because the you know it was a graduate course, mm. so there were some people who had just finished, say, a science degree and gone into gone do this course in. as well. So they were the youngest. So they were maybe twenty one. Yep, uh, and up. So it was almost all mature age students. So, it just kind of blended in. We're just here to get it done. Yeah, There's yeah. There's no big, let's go down the refect and have massive drunken parties. No, it was more kind of, let's go down to the refect and have two beers before we go home kind yeah. of thing. Once a semester. How very measured. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was, um, yeah, it was an interesting dynamic. You know, there were the the professional student kind mm. of people in the course that were a bit more into that. But there were others who just turned up to uni, turned up to the lectures, went home, did what they had to do. Um, and that was me. Yep. Yeah. Got the assignments in, passed the course, yeah. done, check. Yeah. Yep. You know, I did get better results in that than I did in my undergraduate degree, probably mm. just because I was more mature and yeah. and that kind of thing. But and focused, all those yeah, good yeah, about that's being, right. having some yep. life experience. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I'm now doing a, a master's in environmental management and getting even better results than that for the same reason, because I've got that kind of 15, 20 years of work experience in the field. And also... You're a complete uh, nerd. Just, well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think... Yes. Well, um, you're applying yourself really well. Like, I know in that we have a, you know, a friendship outside the, yep. the, the world of this podcast. Yes. Um, and you've been working hard on that and have been really applying yourself to do that and to complete that. So the results that you're getting surely are only reflective of the effort you're putting in. Yeah, I probably give more of an impression of that hard work than actual hard work. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not doing a subject this semester. Mm. Um Partly just because the enrolment date slipped me by. But you're still <laughs> passing it. Like, let's be fair. Yeah. You're not doing yeah, yeah, the yeah. subject, but you're passing it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll just get the assignment off someone else and hand it in and yeah, say... no one uh, checks. Yeah, no, you know. HDs all around. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, and because I've been combining it with work, I had only been doing kind of one or two subjects a semester. Yep. Um, and partly because the work I was in involved a lot of travel... Um, so yeah. it was harder to do more than one subject. Um, you know, I did two subjects in the, I think it was the first semester I did, which happened to coincide with me traveling for work every, almost every fortnight Yep. Um, to you know, a place that you've been as well, which mm. has, you know, in the, in the accommodation has no internet. Mm. Um, so it was hard to do 
assignments yeah. in downtime. So I was having to you know, hand things in a week early, two weeks early, because I knew there was travel coming up and I'd, I'd have no internet access. Um, so, you know, after that experience, I kind of pegged it back to, to one subject for, for a semester. Yes. And that was certainly a lot easier. Um, and then, you know, I, f- I finished my job in, in August last year, and I'm sure we'll get onto that. But, um, you know, after finishing that and doing two subjects in, in that semester, I can't, I'm, you know, I'm not working in that field at the moment. So it's kind of hard to be in that mindset to, yeah. to continue the, the coursework as well, because so much of it relies on using your work experience yeah um you know most of the assignments i handed in were based on stuff i had to do at work yep which makes it a lot easier because you can draw on stuff you've already done but when you're not working in that field and you have those practical kind of assignments to do Mm. it's hard to just kind of make shit up from your knowledge if you if you've got that practical current recent experience it's a lot easier to do that work when you're in that mindset yeah um, you know, when I was I was planning for finishing up work, we you know talking to people, and it was well, why don't you go full time and get your masters out of the way? And there was a there, you know there's a couple of reasons I didn't do that. One was, well, what happens if I get a job? Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm studying full time. Do I drop subjects? Do I just kind of burn the candle at both ends for? for yeah. a couple of months. Because it's expensive to drop it. You can't just go, oh, look, can I pause yeah, this subject right. and pick yeah. it up next semester? Exactly. Yep. Unis aren't quite that flexible. Yeah, yeah. So really what I've done is gone the other way and said, well, I'll just put it on hold for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe I'll pick it up next semester even if I'm still not working, but I just, yeah, felt like having a break. Yeah. Not unreasonable, right? Yeah. yeah. The being an environmental manager or per, mm-hmm. a person in an, an environment team yep. within an organization quite often makes you the target of not, not derision that's not i guess i reflect on it from my professional side of things where i deal with with mining stuff yep. and i hear the guys who work with the environment teams maybe throw jokes the environment team's way because they're the greenies of the group yep. and you know yep. here we are raping the earth and yeah, they're yeah. putting a tree on it yeah. and making sure that everything's okay yeah yep. it's Realistically, though, it's it's a lot it's a lot more broader than that, isn't it? It's not just we'll plant a tree and we're good kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know particularly in in mining and heavy industry kind of fields, yeah. people who succeed in those kind of jobs can't be idealists. <laughs> yes. You need to, like I was saying earlier, you need to understand that. If you're working in that industry, that industry can't do what it does without having an impact on the environment. Mm-hmm. And what your job is, is to reduce that impact, manage the risks, and at some point, yes, it's plant trees mm. because it's, it's part of the remediation and yeah. rehab, but there's a, a, a practicality to it. And, yes. uh, and uh, you know, you need to, to understand... And, you know, the people that make the jokes about the, the tree huggers need to understand that the environment team isn't there to stop you doing what you need to mm. do. They're there to make sure that what you're doing is not going to damage the environment beyond what's reasonable yeah. and not going to land the general manager of the site in court. Yeah. Um, because there's some fairly clear rules, particularly in Australia, around what particularly mining heavy industry can do to a large patch of grass and trees. Yeah, yeah, there are. You know, you get a, an approval or a license with pages and pages of conditions of, of what you can do, of you know the the quality of water that you can discharge from the site, mm. if you can discharge any water at all, um, of the noise that's allowed to go off your site to mm. local communities, for example, or the dust that you can generate. Yeah. And so the environmental team's job is to provide solutions to those issues. So to to teach the operator how they can manage those risks and stay compliant with their licenses. 
but also to monitor compliance with those licenses. So, you know, a, an environmental officer on a site, for example, might be out doing water quality sampling or noise monitoring or dust mm. monitoring or managing a rehabilitation site um, or monitoring the success of a rehabilitation site. So they're not there as, you know, to stand in front of trucks. Mm. They're there to walk behind trucks and check that they're doing things okay. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, you know, good environmental management is good business management as well. You know, if you're using less diesel because you've got more efficient um, haul routes, yeah, for example, we're a bit inside baseball here, but mm. if you've got more efficient haul routes um, and using less diesel, you're creating less or you're creating fewer greenhouse emissions, Yeah, but you're also spending less money on diesel. And less noise and less dust. Exactly, and yeah, things. yeah. Because dust is a real... Welcome to Inside Mining. <laughs> um, dust is a real tangible issue yes. when it comes yeah. to a mining yeah, site. And we might yeah. think, oh, dust, dust. No, the fact that that's not only, you know, the topsoil or it's the It's not just a bit of dirt. Blowing yeah, away. That's right. Yeah. It's also the, the broader environmental impact on the people or the environment around it. Yeah, that's right. And mines work really hard to meet those conditions and to keep dust down. Yes. And that can be all sorts of broad... Uh, remediation solutions around mm -hmm. well the trucks in this area will only travel at 10 kilometers an hour yeah or that's right or whatever or we'll have water trucks yep. spraying the road every half hour or, or yep. whatever um, because yeah it's not just dust as a nuisance dust can be a health risk yes. as well you know depending on the the con constituents of that dust or the particle size of that dust people can breathe it in and can cause resp respiratory problems as well so you know there's a, a large kind of mix in mm. those um, those examples between environmental management and, and health management as well. Yeah. And if you're on a site that the thing that you're digging out in itself is inherently, um, you know, particle-based, something yes. like yep. iron ore or those sorts mm -hmm. of things, it even adds to it further, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So Gosh, it, we just so mining. We are. God. Yeah. Welcome to the mining podcast. <laughs> it's not what... Look, it's a conversation with Heath. That's where it's at. Now, Heath, I do want to raise this because I know that you're being um, your usual, you know, polite self about it. You are quite the photographer. I am a photographer, yes. No, 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 not just a <laughs> photographer. For someone who isn't, you know, one of the, I'm sure, many professionals that jet mm -hmm. around and take all lovely photos that we see on postcards yep. and yep. all that sort of stuff. You bat more than well above your weight when it comes to the images that you take and, and those sorts of things. And, and I would imagine that your experience in an environmental management context having to travel for work has provided huge opportunities to get some great shots. Yeah, it really has. Um, you know, sometimes it's, it's quite frustrating that you're on small planes with you know, small mm. um, you know, luggage allowances, so you can't take your gear, so you, you're kind of taking photos with your, with your iPhone. But, but yeah, just, you know, being able to travel for work and, you know, being in an industry that pays well and has allowed, you know, my wife and I to basically take an overseas holiday every year for the last six, seven years, mm. um, has, yeah, has really allowed me to... to visit some pretty special places and, and take some, you know, some decent photos. Um, and, you know, it's, there's kind of, there is a bit of a, a bit of conflict there of, of when you are traveling for leisure, mm. you know, with your partner, whatever, yes. how much time you spend out taking photos. <laughs> yes. um, but, you know, it's... Unless they're of your partner. Well, that's true, although she doesn't really like having a photo taken anyway, so that's, that's never really come into the equation. But, you know, the times you take the best photos are kind of early in the morning, late afternoon, mm. so mostly it doesn't become an issue. Um, and, you know, sometimes we've been in a city and, and decided let's have a day apart. Mm. You know, Kylie, you go and do your thing. Heath, you go and do your thing. And, you know, that, that works well. Um, you know, Kylie will go shopping or looking at bookshops or, or whatever, and I'll 
following your interests. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I'll go, you know, in New York, I spent a day visiting um, filming locations for various movies and TV nice. shows and that kind of thing. And, you know... Kylie looked at the photos and liked them, but she would have hated that day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do we have to go and see another building? Yeah, that's right. It was, you know, from, from one end of Manhattan to the other, from, you know, the, the northern end of Manhattan where the the Tom's Diner from yep. some, the exterior from Seinfeld to, to Chinatown in the south mm. where Flight of the Concords was filmed or... Um, the Ghostbusters firehouse, for example. Oh. So it was it was a big day, yeah. um, getting on and off subway trains. Oh. But you know, also other trips that. I've I've done in so January last year, I, I actually went on a photography trip to to Japan, yeah. which was a a three week trip through Hokkaido um, with a you know a group of fifteen photographers or so wow. um, on a bus in the, these kind of minimalist winter landscapes of you know one tree on the on the side of a snowy hill and you yeah. know getting out of the bus and spending a couple of hours in a particular location exploring looking for photos taking photos and you know getting back on the bus going back to the hotel room looking at the photos talking about you know the day we've had going into the into the onsen together mm. um which is kind of weird but you know not too bad i kind of equated it to a footy team yep you know in the showers at the end of the end of the game kind of thing yep. um but really you know sitting around talking about not just photography because that would bore the shit out of anyone <laughs> um but talking about travel and um things we have in common which yeah. you know are photography and other things as well yeah. um which was yeah really interesting met some really interesting people um through that and you know that was one of those examples where you asked before about in a party situation are you a wallflower mm. you know first couple of days i think everyone was a bit of a wallflower we were sitting in our own seats in the bus and didn't yeah. really talk that much a few people who knew each other from um either from you know, they share a hometown or have been on similar tours yes. before together. But by the end, it was, you know, a group of friends on a bus taking a trip around Japan. Yeah. It was it was really fun. Yeah. It's Well, not only did you guys invert the stereotype of a busload of Japanese tourists turning yeah. up somewhere, coming out cameras, of, you know, at 20 paces. Yes. Yep. That was just a whole bunch of white people turning up and doing That's it. That's right. Yeah. Um, but I can imagine the dynamic in that photography, my perception of it is that it's a yep. relatively introverted pursuit. You know, it's you looking through a lens. Yeah, yeah. You may be dealing with people or a subject, mm -hmm. but still it's about in your head, what can I see? It is. How yeah, can I frame it? Yeah, yep. But in that group context, there was a lot of, hey, come and check this out, or, oh, how, yeah. how, or how would you shoot this? Or, you know, it wasn't a workshop mm. in, in as much as it didn't have a lot of instruction, but the level of ability of the people there didn't warrant that. Yeah, um, you get lots of great gear ideas too. Like I find that when you get together with a collective of similarly interest yep. interested people yep. Yep. slash nerds, yes, someone's got a thing that others go, "Hey, that's a really great solution to that thing that I've been trying to solve." Yeah, or yeah. There's the questions yep. around, "Hey, how do we? If I wanted to this, oh yeah, no, I haven't thought about this, or this guy thought this, and this guy solved it a different way." There'd be lots of that with photography. Stuff, yeah, there was. And yeah, and there was, and probably the the biggest thing that came out of it for me or certainly the most expensive thing hmm. was um, there's a, a kind of a new type of camera coming out yeah which is um, mostly mostly um, from companies like Fuji and Sony mm. that are smaller cameras um, they're called mirrorless cameras so they don't have the big mechanism that a that an SLR has yes so they're lighter um almost equally good quality if not equally good quality images mm. so they're a lot better for travel um a lot more portable they just kind of get out of the way yeah um and you know a few people on that trip had those cameras uh, particularly uh, the fuji camera which is mm -hmm. called an xt1 um and they were raving about them yeah and you know i had two big 
kind of Canon 5Ds, kind yeah. of heavy DSLRs, and kind of you know trudging around with those on my back. Whereas these guys are kind of, um, you remember the uh, <laughs> just reminded me of the the D generation um, thing where they were talking about the how much smaller the paper used to be. Yes. Whereas, um, I think it was Mick, Mick Malloy and Tony Martin. He, I've got the paper, <laughs> kind of skipping down the road. So they were a bit like that with their with their little um, with their little cameras and. So I came home and a couple of months later I sold one of my big DSLRs mm. and, and, and replaced it with the, the smaller Fuji. And that's really the camera I've been using for a lot of the, the travel stuff since. And it's, yeah, it really is. It just gets out of the way and lets you take the photos and, you know, you don't come back with a sore back. I can imagine. What's your preferred subject matter? Is it landscape? Is it animals, humans? What, what do you prefer? Landscapes, really, um, and whether that's because of my environmental bent or, mm-hmm. or what, or because it's you know it doesn't move. Um, yeah, I like. There's really not much I love more than getting down to the coast, in particular, and and taking kind of landscapey seascape kind mm-hmm. of kind of photos. Um, and but also, you know, going out and doing a bushwalk and and taking photos in the bush and that kind of thing and. Yeah, several years ago, I, I did a, a road trip from Brisbane to Adelaide out through Western New South Wales yeah. and South Australia. And, um, you know, those kind of desert landscapes I really enjoyed as well that aren't too busy and you can kind of pick out a focal point and, and, and focus on that. And, yeah, that's yeah. that's really what I what I prefer to take. Um, you know, paid photography work is not that because mm-hmm. people just don't buy that kind of photography much anymore. Um, unless your name is Parrish or Duncan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, unless you've got that kind of background yeah, and, the film. and name recognition yeah. and, you know, your your books on every kind of rotating stand in every bookshop yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, there's definitely still a market for it. You know, I recently sold a, some, some stock photos of, yep. of that kind of thing. But, um, you know, for paid photography work, most of where that comes from for me is uh, sport. So I do a lot of the the larger kind of mass participation fun run kind of events like mm. the the bridge to Brisbane or um, triathlons or Brisbane marathon yes. those kind of things, um, and you know over the last few months that's kind of I've expanded that business to be doing a bit more um, corporate photography. So you know I I shot a, a conference a couple of weeks ago which was three days three days work um shooting a conference which is it's kind it's not particularly challenging creative work it's mm-hmm. um you know it's shooting speakers as they're standing behind a lectern and and that kind of thing but challenging myself to get more you know candid shots of people in the audience yeah. or people interacting in breaks and that kind of thing is you know i actually really like photographing events I don't want to photograph weddings very much, yep. but I do like photographing events because of those challenges of, you know, you don't know what the lighting's going to be like. You don't know what the room's going to be like, um, whether there's going to be a lectern or the the speakers are going to be more dynamic on stage mm. and really dealing with those challenges and thinking on your feet of how can I get this? How can I make this work? Yep. Um, yeah, it's quite, it's quite challenging and, and fun work and you know I learnt a lot of stuff about haematology covering that conference <laughs> as well um, come on Heath you get to have a lot of fun you know taking photos at weddings too don't you I'm sure you do oh. and I've you know I've I've photographed two weddings in my life mm. I have two brothers and that's enough do the maths yep um, and you know I I I'm not incapable of photographing weddings. Yes. It's um it's just not really something that I want to deal with. Um if somebody came to me and asked me to shoot their wedding, I probably would. Yeah. But I there's more to photography than shooting weddings and um if that's what you do then good on you, go for it. Um but it, it's not for me. I yep. you know, I don't want to deal with not the stress because all jobs have kind of some level of stress, but yeah, it's, it's just not for me. 
It's and and that's fine. Like, yeah. Oh, sure. You don't need to justify what you're interested in and what you're not. But it's yeah. You know, like I said, I I've done them. I might do them again, but do I promote myself to do that? No, not yeah. at all. I like talking to people. I don't want to be a politician. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's fine. You recently ran um, a what I thought was a really cool uh, and really interesting idea where you offered um, what you call the social media social media portrait project. Yes. Yeah. Please. What so, prompted this? A um, couple of things prompted it. So I've you know, mentioned that I've been trying to to build my photography business. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, the areas I want to build my photography business is in corporate kind of photography. Mm-hmm. And that's that covers a really broad range from um, you know, interiors and mm. events and, and that kind of thing to portraits and corporate headshots and that, yeah, that kind of... Yeah, this is the CEO, this is the CEO. Yeah, that's right. Stuff yep. for the website and the cards yes, and things. Yes, exactly, yep. And... I'd done a bit of that, um, probably most most famously or most most you know the photos that that I've taken that's had the most eyeballs on it is the the cardboard cutout of, of Spencer House in the <laughs> ABC lobby in, in Brisbane. Um, so you know I'd done a bit of that kind of work, but didn't really have a portfolio sure. of of portraits and, and headshots. So. You know, for totally selfish reasons, it was that to build up my skills and portfolio in mm-hmm. in taking portraits, but also it was a really great chance to meet people who I'd yeah. followed or who had followed me on Twitter or Facebook or whatever for seven eight years. Um, who you know you feel like you know those people, yeah. Um, but for them to come and visit my house and spend half an hour an hour there and kind of oh so that's you <laughs> and you know get to know those people a bit better than just a, a you know a face and, and words on a screen was was really good and you got some great shots too and the whole premise was that you were taking these shots for them to use yeah as their social media profile shot. that's right so it was you know no charge um come and get your photo taken i'll i'll give you five six whatever photos mm. and you can do whatever you like with them Right. Um, and what's been really good to see is people using them mm. um, for their Twitter profiles, for their LinkedIn profiles, on Facebook, yeah. on you know, for people who own their own businesses, on their web, on their business websites, and um, you know, other business promotional materials. You know, that stuff that usually would would cost them quite a bit of money. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for whatever reason. Maybe they hadn't done that because of the cost or or what, but to get something, you know, for free that helped me and has helped them, um, is great to see. Like I, whenever I see somebody's um, user pick that I've taken, scroll through on mm. on Tweetbot or whatever, it's yeah, it's it's a, it's a nice feeling. There were some really great shots come out of that. Thanks, thank you. Uh, one that still stands out for me, uh, a common friend of ours, uh, Simon Band. Yeah. Him with that freaking corn cob pipe <laughs> is delightful. I I was actually um, scheduled to shoot um, Simon's podcasting partner Dan Barrett mm. that afternoon, who who lives in Sydney now but was visiting Brisbane. Um, but he had some family stuff come up and couldn't make it. Yep. So he subbed in Simon and sent me a message, said, I can't make it, but Simon's going to come instead. And, uh, you know, Simon, I've described Simon, I'm sure he won't mind, I've described Simon as a, a 60-year-old man trapped in a 30-year-old it's man's body. so great. <laughs> and I knew he used to smoke a pipe, so I assumed he'd probably still have some pipes laying around. So sent him a quick message and said, I know you're coming around, so bring your pipes. And oh. he, was, he was really into it. So that was great. It was, it, it, you're right because your description of him is correct. He really is that kind of thing. He, he, he's uh, a Brit expat, yep. so you've got that wonderful accent layer in on top of it. Yep. His sensibilities because of his British heritage mm-hmm. are there. And just him with his glasses and the pipe, it's it's Simon 100%. Yeah. Looks amazing. And with the with the little grin on the side of the face that's not, you know, that's not clutching the pipe. It's, mm. it's uh, reminds me of like something you'd see in a TV show I used to watch religiously as a kid, which it's, it doesn't date me because it was well beyond my, before my time as well. But it, you know, repeats when I was a kid was, was my three sons. Yeah. And it just reminds me of that kind of, that aesthetic from, from yeah. TV shows Gosh. like that. 
Colorize that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Heath, what are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Well, hopefully I'll get a job. <laughs> um, yeah, I've mentioned a couple of times I you know, finished up my, my job in, in August. Mm. Um, so I was uh, employed by a large mining company who decided to split itself into you know a small mining company and a slightly um, smaller than original mining company. Um, and, you know, the, I was part of the, the smaller company that was split off and essentially because I didn't want to move to Perth, I took a redundancy yeah. in, um, in August last year. Good move. And, well, good move for I don't say that in the, lifestyle yeah. wise. Yeah. Um, I like Perth to visit. Yeah, exactly. We, we went and visited Perth um, when this was on the horizon sure. to help us decide whether we want to move there. And yeah, it's a lovely place, but, bloody long way away yeah um and you know all our families over this side of the country and um yeah so we you know we decided not to move to perth so i took a redundancy um and haven't really regretted that Mm. it it wasn't it hasn't been a great time to be out of work because there's you know what we've seen happening in the mining industry means there's not really that much work around um but you know i'm very lucky that i you know, we own our house. Mm. Kylie, my wife, earns a, earns a decent income as well. So, you know, it certainly hasn't been desperate. You were still allowed to live in the style to which you'd become accustomed. Uh, well, close enough to it. Yeah. yeah, I've got to clean the house now instead oh, of having a cleaner gosh. come in every every week. But Damn you know, it. I've got to earn my keep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, it's been just over seven months now, mm. um, and you know, I'm ready to kind of go back to work. Um, it is a bit tipping point, isn't it? Like I understand yeah. that vibe where it's, I, I could keep doing this yes. and kind yeah. of, you know, I could try and build other income streams yeah, or yeah. no, I could go back to the thing that I actually kind of enjoy yeah, yeah. and juggle personal fun things. Yes. And I've, I've been doing that. Like I've, I've, like I said, I've been building my photography business. Mm. Um, it's certainly not at a point that it's sustainable. Um, and I could continue doing that and I will until something else comes along. Mm. Um, but it's kind of working out which is plan A and which is plan B. Yeah. Um, it's, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy the practical part of it. Yeah. But I'm, I, I think I'm coming to, to realize that I don't want to be running my own business. Mm. Um, as my primary income source. Like, yeah. I'll keep running it, even if I do get another job, as a sideline. Yep. Um, but I just don't want to do that. Again, it's not that I don't have it in me or I'm not capable of doing it. Um, you know, you've seen some people who run their own small businesses. It, it doesn't really take a brain surgeon mm. um, to be able to, to run a successful or you know a reasonably successful small business it's not necessarily an an ability thing or a smarts thing it's having the drive to to want to do that it's a consuming thing yeah yeah. i just don't it's it's i don't think it's for me your full-time professional career if we think of it in that differentiation has huge capacity though for you to include your hobby yes you know yep. growing side business in it anyhow doesn't it like you've got that benefit with what you do yeah it does and you know one of the one of the ways i've pitched myself as a photographer is is environmental photography yeah um a lot of the environmental consultants i've worked with in the past have said they always struggle to get good photos to include in reports and that kind of thing i know um, a guy <laughs> that's right i know a guy and um i so, you know, I've pitched part of my business as that. You know, mm. you struggle to find good photos. I know how to take photos. I know how to find the photos to take. I know the kind of photos you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And I know mine sites and industrial sites. And, and so I know the work you do. So I know how, I know what you're looking for. And those last two are so key in that, that puzzle, aren't they? They are, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, you need to have that kind of, that safety background. Yep. Um, but, yeah, you need to know what's what when you go to a site. You yeah, I'll give you a nice picture of a, a grass field, but that might not, that's not going to suit that's right. the nature exactly. of this report. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So, yeah, that's kind of one side of the, the photography business. Um, as with anything like that, it's come up with a bit of, um, not resistance, but 
you know, it's a struggle to get those new ideas off the ground mm. sometimes because, you know, what you see is that if if a, a company gets a proposal, for example, from a, from an environmental consultant and one of the light on, line items is photography, mm. however many thousand dollars, if they're looking to cut costs, that's the first line that'll go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the challenge is to convince them that what I can offer them is better for them in terms of, you know, their PR, um, the quality of the reports they produce. Um, it's what I can offer is better for them than what Dave in the engineering team who just bought yeah. a shiny new SLR can do. Um, and, you know, the difference in that is, you know, Dave in, in engineering might jump out of his car and take a quick photo um, whereas if you use a professional photographer, they will take more time to, mm. to create the photo. There's a, a bit of a, um, a bit of a, a wanky term that, that a lot of photographers get um, caught up in is the difference between making photographs and taking photographs. Mm. A lot of people will say, make a photograph and they'll kind of get corrected by people I oh, don't you mean take a photograph but there is a difference and yeah it's a bit wanky but the difference is if you're making a photograph you're concentrating on lighting and composition and yeah. you you are creating that scene um, from the elements that are there yes. whereas if you're taking a photograph you're jumping out of the car going click photo's taken yeah um so there, so there is a difference. So you know, a, a photographer will make the photographs that you need. Dave in engineering, who is go and a, take a photo. Who's a fictional character? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not casting any aspersions on an engineer's name, Dave. Mm. Um, but you know, they've they've got different priorities. Yeah. They've got to get back to work. Yes. Um, so they can't spend the time to to create those photos that that would be beneficial. Good old Dave. <laughs> hey, thank you. Um, it's been a wonderful chat today. I've really appreciated your time. That's okay. Thank you. Please know the things that you've said are very special and you're highly valued. Thank um, you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're obviously on the tweet. I am. Are there other social accounts you want to alert people to? Uh, really, the only one. The other one is Instagram, uh, which is Heath C, mm -hmm. um, but it's spelled differently. It's H-E-A-T-H-C-E-E. Uh, um, I did have the, the original Heath C to match my, my Twitter account several years ago, but closed that, that account. Someone else got um, Well, yeah, eventually. Um, the old rules on Instagram were that if you deactivated a username, it could never be used again, so you could never get it back. But I discovered just recently that there's someone using that old Instagram name, so they must have changed those rules and, and somebody else has picked up the name. Who doesn't use it by... Even uh, worse. Even worse, yeah. You know, Gosh. the last thing they posted was about two and a half years ago. So. I hate those things. Yes. There's a guy in Mexico uh, who has the Twitter handle Mulk. Yeah, right. I so desperately want it. And it sat dormant for two years. Yep. And now he's just sort of tweeting a bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it kills me. So yeah, Heath C, H-E-A-T-H-C-E-E -E on mm -hmm. Instagram. And, you know, I'm on Facebook as well, but it's mostly just kind of family and friend kind of stuff. So yeah. there's no point looking for me on there. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Heath C, no double E, just the letter C, 